0: stuff out. Betsy puts up the banner. Eric shows up and deals with a multitude of technology issues. Travis comes and gives us security in case you get out of hand. (laughs) And you show up. More than anything, you show up. And we uh, trust that God is here amongst us as well. I know he is. I'm glad you're here. You know, we typically pray Uh, the Lord's Prayer, don't we? We pray that. But I want to try, if I can get my phone to work, I don't really need this, but I wanted to have it. I want you to join me today just in praying the Lord's Prayer, but I'm going to read it as you pray it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins or debts as we've forgiven those that sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I want you to think for a minute about the phrase, the 13th verse of Matthew 6, uh, where this prayer is given. It's also given to us in Luke, uh, Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I just want to talk for a, a, a few minutes today, church, about the notion of evil. You know, I've got to tell you this morning, I'm in a real quandary. As I said to you earlier, you know, last Sunday, I was joking around about the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Cleveland Browns, never imagining that uh, Wednesday would come to us the way that it did. One of the reasons I'm in a quandary is because one of the things I believe with all of my soul, all of my heart, and all my being is that politics should never enter the pulpit. Okay? You can amen that. Politics should never enter the pulpit. And yet somebody has said that when you're reading the the Bible, you should read the Bible with the Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. And so I'm in a quandary because I can't help the newspaper that I'm holding in my other hand as I stand before you today. Uh, I, I know that God has called me to preach. I have no doubts about that. I have all the confidence in the world that the Lord called me to the task that I take up every Sunday with you. But I must confess to you that I feel less less than qualified to speak to the circumstances of our world right now. And uh, yet, I feel that God requires that we talk a little bit about it. Can't avoid it. Can't look around it. Can't get beyond it. Now the danger in that is that while politics should not enter the pulpit... We're a very political people. And anything that I say right now, you know, I was thinking this morning as I was getting ready, I almost want to unplug those cameras and unplug this mic and talk to you for 30 minutes and then plug them back in. Because I know that on any given Sunday, I'm going to offend somebody or say something that's going to upset somebody. And because of how politically charged our world is right now, anything that I've got to say this morning, you're going to hear through a filter that has been building in you over time. And it just is difficult for our relationships. So I want to ask you, as hard as I have tried this week, uh, because this is not what I intended to preach, and I really don't think I'm going to say anything that will offend anybody, but as hard as I've tried to keep the politics out of my pulpit, I'm going to ask you to try to take them out of your filter this morning as we try to consider together the notion of what Jesus said when he said, lead us not into temptation, but to deliver us from evil. You know, the Hebrew word for evil evil, means to spoil or to break into pieces and make worthless that which was once good. Jesus said that we're to pray... And we are to ask God to not lead us unto temptation and to deliver us from evil. Now church, I suppose that many of us have probably prayed that prayer at times and thought to ourselves that what Jesus meant was that we would not walk down a darkened alley and get mugged. But I really don't think that's what Jesus was saying to us. In fact, I know that's not what Jesus was saying to us. He was saying that when we pray and we ask the Lord to lead us not into temptation and to deliver us from evil, he was asking us to pray and to consider the fact that we can do evil things. And when we need delivered from evil, it's not from what we may do to each other, but rather what is inside of our hearts, what's growing inside of our sinful being. And so when he calls us, upon us to pray and to pray that we not be led into temptation. I believe what he's saying to us is that we need to watch ourselves. We need to be careful. Now there's a problem with evil and the problem with evil is this. Why does it exist? If we have an all-powerful and all-good God and and, and he is in the world and has created it all, why does evil exist? And I'm going to take you back to what he said in that prayer. Pray and ask the Lord to deliver us from evil. Uh, what, what is meant by that? We have the ability to choose good and bad. And I'm having a whole lot of bad problems with my technology this morning. So give me a second while I fish up my message in a different route. Eric, you're in charge of slides right now. Okay. Why does evil exist? And the, the, the answer that I want you to see in James 1 13 and 14 and 15 is this. None of us should say when we're tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God can't be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each of us is tempted. When we're lured and we're enticed by our own desires. And desire, when it's conceived and gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. What James just told us, church, is that evil doesn't reside in the heart of God. Evil resides in the heart of us. And when we are enticed and drawn away by sin, and we go seeking our own way and our own desires, and they're separate and apart from what God's best is for us, That's usually when sin grows, matures, and has its full effect, which is death. I've got to tell you that right now the evil in our world was evident this past Wednesday. When we joined the United Methodist Church... And we have the baptismal vows. This is what is asked. And it will sound familiar to most of you that are part of the Westbrook Park Church. On behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness? Do you reject the evil powers of this world? And do you repent of your sin? And and the respondent will reply, I do. And the next question is this, do you accept the freedom and the power that God gives you? to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. And the answer that the respondent will give is, I do. If they give any other answer, they won't be baptized. They won't be brought in. Evil has been around for a very long time. Back in the book of Genesis chapter 6, in the fifth verse, listen close. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of his thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord, get this, this is so regrettable. The Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved the Lord to his heart. So the Lord said, I'll blot out man whom I've created from the face of the earth, Man and animals and creeping birds and things in the heavens, for I'm sorry that I've made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. You know, usually when we tell the story of Noah and the ark, we make our focus that rainbow, don't we? We want to hear that God will never do that again. We want to hear that, that God is always on our side and that he's with us. But how tragic are those words? I am sorry that I've made them. The Lord regrets that he made humans. The Lord grieved to his heart when he said, I'll blot out man whom I've created, because their wickedness is great, and their thoughts and their intentions are only evil continually. We don't think that much about that when we look at that rainbow. You know, Paul says in the New Testament, In Romans 128 that this is how sin and evil travels. Listen if you would. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and maliciousness. They became gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boasters, Boasters, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Church, can I tell you something? We don't live in Gotham City, and our arch enemy is not the Joker, and Batman is not going to arrive on this scene. Our enemy is a very real person named Satan. Now, in the end, he gets destroyed. I read the back of the book. But until that time, can I tell you that our archenemy is ourselves as well. We live in a world that has bad people and bad thoughts and bad things in it. And they'll confront us as the body of Christ. And sometimes they'll even live amongst us in our fellowship and we'll keep praying But we may not necessarily do anything about ourselves. When we pray, deliver us from evil, in some instances, we need to recognize that delivering ourselves from evil might also include delivering us from our own worst intentions. Just as much as Paul says in Romans That sin has an end, that sin travels a certain downward spiral. Back in the book of Proverbs, Solomon wrote this. A worthless person and a wicked man goes about with crooked speech. He winks with his eyes, he signals with his feet, he points with his finger. His perverted heart devises evil, it continually sows discord. Calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment he'll be broken beyond healing. But here's where I'm headed. Listen to this. There are six things, even seven, that the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run to evil, a false witness who lies, and one who sows discord among the brothers. Church, Evil is a tough thing. It's never our responsibility, and I want you to hear me close. It's never our responsibility to respond with evil to evil. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, If they take your coat, give them your cloak also. If they smack you on the right side of the cheek, show them your left. There is a certain response that it is incumbent upon Christians to show. And I am not suggesting to you this morning that we are to be pacifists or wimps in any way. But what I am saying to you, that it is our responsibility to show the very best that Christ has to offer to a world that is lost and hurting in all of the evil that's going on. And the response on the part of Christians cannot be more of the same that has done so much damage and hurt so many. We worry about our tongue. In the book of James, it says that the tongue is a world of fire and it's set on fire by hell. Some of you would say, I would never say anything evil. But can I tell you something, church? We do a lot of damage with our Facebook posts at times. You've got to be careful of that. We do a lot of damage with things we say just by virtue of agreement with something that someone else has said. When they look at it and they say, look, there's a Christian, that's what they think. I want to stop for a minute and say to you what Paul said in the book of Romans 12. Repay no one evil for evil. Give thought to do what's honorable in the sight of others insofar as it depends on you and as far as it is possible, live at peace with everyone. Beloved, never avenge yourself. Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. And Paul even takes it one step further and says this, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. Don't be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. Some of you this morning would say to me, Pastor Joel, I would never be seen storming into the Capitol with fire extinguishers in hand to whack somebody over the head and kill them, or to overthrow the government. And I get that, but church can I tell you something? We do just as much damage at times in a lot of different ways that we need to be accountable for You know, Jesus said in Matthew 5, that's the Sermon on the Mount, these words, You've heard it said of those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. I want to stop for a minute and talk about that, church. Not about the first things Jesus said, just that last little phrase, you fool. It means you're insignificant. It means you're worthless. I've heard people say before, you're dead to me. It's kind of like that. And I want you to notice what Jesus said. He said, you've heard it said that there will be those that are murdered and they'll be held accountable for it. But I say to you, anyone that says you're insignificant, you're worthless, you fool will be held accountable and held accountable to the lake of fire. Not accountable, but rather he does say liable to the fire of hell. Church, can I tell you something? When someone's differing thoughts, differing thoughts with yours or mine, maybe we ought to open our ear up a little bit more instead of allowing them to be devalued to nothing. There's a thing out there these days called cancel culture. And what we're saying when we devalue some other person's opinion or or thought What we're really saying is, is that the imprint of God, the inherent value that each of us have because we are created in his image is insignificant, without merit, and of no count. And that is violence that doesn't use a gun or doesn't use a knife, but it matters. Church, our words matter. Let me say it to you again, our words matter. The things we post on Facebook and Twitter and anywhere else, they matter. The tongue is a great fire. It can be set on fire from hell. And evil, though it begins with a simple temptation or a simple desire in our heart, ultimately leads to a bad place and usually to death. And it brings me to my bottom line for this morning, and it's this. Eric, you might want to bring that slide up. It's just the bold lettered slide. Our answer to evil is not a problem, it's a person. Our answer to evil is not a problem, it's a person. I want you to listen to this verse from Paul in Romans 5 and verse 8. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 8:32 He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Church, the answer to the problem of evil is not a It's not a a problem, it's a person. It's Jesus Christ. God's final answer to the problem of evil is Jesus hanging upon a cross. And it's the sign of that work on the cross in us that will make the difference it's the sign of changed lives that make a witness to the world that don't require a gun or a knife or even words to impress but it is the way and the witness of a life that's been changed by the power of the cross of Jesus Christ that correctly responds to the evil that is in this world When a change in people aligns us with who Christ is, then the final of victory of God can be effected in this world. And what does that mean? Let me put that into more plain terms for you. We probably need to change one person at a time. We probably need to have a revival in our land that changes hearts and lives to where our witness to the saving power and the changing power efe- powerful effect of Jesus in a person's life is a greater witness than what's going to be on CNN or Fox News tonight or tomorrow. That when people look and say that's what being a Christian is like. That's what a changed life, the power of what Jesus did upon the cross has changed that person or those people in such a way that they make a deeper imprint and impression upon others than what's taken place in the world. I think that is when evil gets overcome because ultimately that is God's final answer to evil. It's Jesus hanging on a cross. The book of Revelation chapter 21 We see a picture of what God's idea is when evil has gone. Let me read it to you. John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne that said, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He'll dwell with them, and they'll be his people, and God will be with them as their God. He'll wipe away their tears from their eyes. Death will be no more. Neither, will, neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain, for the former things have passed away. And the one who sat on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy. They're true. And he said to me, It's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I'll be his God and he'll be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithful, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. You know, God's intention in creation was not evil in the world, but he wanted us to have choice, and so he gave it to us. The choices we make are called sin, and sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. But we see in the end that God's ultimate intention is a world without death, without sin, without sorrow, and with him. And church, I want to encourage you today. The world in which we live in right now is complicated, difficult, and sad. But the Lord asked us to do something unique. He asked us to bring his kingdom to bear on earth as it is in heaven. Lead us not into temptation, Deliver us from evil. Lord, deliver us from ourselves. If that's what we're really praying, church, he's already done that. He did it on the cross of Calvary. And as much as it took him coming from heaven to earth for our sins to be forgiven and his death and the atonement to be enacted, it requires us to act on the faith that we confess. Do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness and of evil? I do! Will you do all in your power to avoid those forces? I do! I will! Church, don't throw fuel on the fire, but rather throw the fire of the Holy Spirit on the world. Amen.